0: had to find myself in so many ways in in how I dealt with my children you know my husband had much greater patience than I did and I had to sort of summon I'd go okay I got to get your patience now because I couldn't depend on him and um I had to become me a whole So it's a huge learning experience, aside from learning, you know, he, I took care of the home and he took care of the finances and learning all of that, which is a lot. I had to learn more intrinsic things about me.
1: Hello, and welcome to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast This podcast is about exploring the grief that occurs at different times in our lives in which we have had major changes and transitions that literally shake us to the core and make us experience grief. I created this podcast for people to feel a little less hopeless and alone in their own grief process as they hear the stories of others who have had similar journeys. I'm Kendra Rinaldi. Your host. Now, let's dive right into today's episode. I'm here today with Susan Kendall. Kendall, welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad you reached out, and I'm excited for our conversation today. You, you're we're talking. You're talking all the way from. Toronto. Toronto. Woo. Okay, so let's let's talk weather since that's what we were just talking right before. So right now we're recording this at the end of February, last week of February, as we we're recording this, I don't know when I'll release it, but what's the weather like right now in Toronto?
0: <laughs> well, shockingly, we actually consider it beautiful out because it's above zero. And there's snow, and the snow is packing snow now because we Canadians have all different textures of snow. So I was just outside a few hours ago making, building a snowman with my, with two of my grandchildren.
1: Oh, that's what. So it's so interesting because that's what, when it snowed here last week here in Dallas, um, this was, as we're recording, this is just a week after all the, Blackouts and everything we had in Dallas, and so Susan and I were just talking a little bit before that. But my dad's like, "Is it wet snow or dry snow?" My dad was. Like, I'm like, "Ah, oh, I don't know, Dad." Although I did live in Boston before, I should know that concept of wet or dry. So wet You're means true. I can pack it. Yeah, exactly. wet means I can pack it, and dry. Okay. And it now was
0: dry here for so long; it was like sand. So okay. now we're so excited because at least we can play with it. What else? Yeah. You know.
1: That's the thing. I think that one of the things with people that live in those, you know, environments, you already have activities that you're used to. You have the equipment, you have sleds. I don't even have sleds. I'm like, I couldn't even, and we don't really have many hills either. So it's not like I could just go and find a place. But, um, but anyhow. I have to confess, I don't
0: skate. (laughs) No. but Do you ski? Uh, Not anymore.
1: No. No, no. Do your grandkids (laughs) ski? Um,
0: They're learning. My kids ski like crazy. They're they're fanatics. And I love tobogganing.
1: And snowshoeing. Okay. So you do like some other activities in the snow. That's wonderful. Okay. So you're from Toronto. Mm -hmm. You're from there. Okay. So now share a little bit then about your life. Uh, It's going to be, and it's going to be, we're going to be talking about several different topics that primarily... Right now, we'll start, how about we start with your husband's passing, and then we'll kind of jump to the other situations, um, being that one of the things you do is supporting other widows. So let's talk there. Tell us, first of all, how did you meet, and a little bit about the, the, your family dynamics, your children, your grandkids, mm-hmm. and, and that, please.
0: Thank you. Um, well, we met when I was 14, in grade nine, and he was 15. Oh, you're your and, kids sweethearts. Um, yeah, and he actually, we met actually with the Texas Connection. His, um, He said that his best friend liked me, and I ended up dating his best friend for a while, and now his best friend lives in Texas. So I have a Texas Connection. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but we started dating comp- only, you know, just um, the two of us, complete, um, when I was 16. And we never stopped from that day on. We got married young, 21, had three children. And um, he was never blessed to meet the grandchildren, but now there's six of those. And, um, you know, he was my best friend. He was the other half of me because truly I spent most of my life with him.
1: Yes, no, it, it's a lot. Is, is Audie wanting to come in, and yeah, if the listeners here, this is her fur baby who he's wanting he's wanting to come in the house, out the house, in the house, out the house. <laughs> so if you hear him barking in the background, it's because our fur babies uh demand attention, <laughs> right. And we bless them. We do. and they bless our lives too. okay. so then, yeah, you basically grew up together. You you grew who to who you were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as individuals as as people um together. So, how what were the circumstances around his uh death? And then and then we'll jump again.
0: Okay. Well, um he literally died of a heart attack in our home. I found him. There was no he had uh, flu symptoms. A couple of days later, we were at a, earlier. Sorry, we were at a wedding, and he just had flu symptoms. And we actually had him checked out by a few doctors because, of course, it was a big, large Jewish wedding, and there were a lot of doctors there. And um, they all thought everything was fine. So it was a huge, huge shock for me. Um, it was not expected. His parents, thank God, are both alive and um, you know we've already had lost another member of his family so it through a car accident not not from health reasons mm-hmm. so we understood death but not this this was not, like not
1: especially because at this shattered. point yeah, at this point too, I'm wondering. I, I can, now I know when I hear my echo. I think it's when I'm when you're talking and then I talk, then I hear my echo. I hope it records well. Well, we'll see. Do um, you want me
0: to get the earphones?
1: Yeah, maybe let's. Yeah, maybe maybe get those. One second, I'll run. Second. Sounds good. I hate those things when they happen. It yes and, it, yes oh, and sorry, oh sorry wait oh no I'm hearing more echo now. I'm thinking. Let me see. Let me see. I'm hearing gotcha. more echo now. I actually, let me see. Can you hear me?
0: Yeah, but it's not can coming through me? here.
1: Hold on. Hello? No, you could don't hear me on okay. your ears. Okay. No, take them off. Take them off because I'm hearing more echo actually. Okay. Sorry. It's okay. It's okay. okay. Don't worry about it. No, don't worry about it. No, those. Okay. So let's go back to. um, Hold on. I'm hearing head. Are you doing? Are you touching something? Okay. Okay. No, no, it's fine. Okay. So. That okay, we were at the part where, um, where you were talking about okay, so you that how were then the circumstances then in terms of him passing? You he was home, what was the situation? You mentioned a little bit in the email, he was
0: home, he hadn't been feeling well, and he had a very important meeting in the morning. So I had said to him, you know, maybe don't go. He was a dentist and he was actually meeting a patient and another dentist to discuss a patient's issue together, the three of them. And he said, I have to go because, you know, I've already got the patient there and I've called in a specialist. Um, But he wasn't feeling well. He had flu like symptoms. So I actually decided that I would sleep on the couch because, um, you know, I didn't want to get sick. (laughs) And in the morning, the phone kept ringing and ringing and ringing. And I knew that it was the office calling and I saw the time and my husband was always late. Um, he was actually so late that we held his funeral. We purposely late. started it late. So it would be an honor of him.
1: Oh, That's- I absolutely love that, Susan. I, I love that. <laughs> you we have what? It the late,
0: late Neil Kendall. Yeah. And, Neil. um, so I ran upstairs with the phone in my hand, and I found him in the bathroom.
1: Okay, I'm sorry. My, it must. And this was um, less than seven years. Ago. This is recent. this was in
0: 2014.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the interesting thing was, I actually lived next door to my parents, and my father was going through a lot of chemo, and. Um, because he really wasn't well at all, and he was in his 80s. So when my mother saw the ambulance, because she was waiting for the nurse to come with my dad's medication, she um, came next door. And she, and you always want to protect your parents. Mm. So here I was in the most horrific moment of my entire life, and still trying to sort of shield my mother from what was happening, thankfully, all my kids were out of the house, as it turned out, which was truly a blessing, I believe
1: but and, they were uh, there they were grown How what weren't... ages were your kids at that time
0: um if they were probably early twenties, okay, to later, there's three of them, so like okay. probably you know early twenties,
1: okay, so all grown so yeah. then if since they weren't home, how did you then? How did you break the news to them about it, and how, and how? Because you're still even trying to cope with the idea of this even being real. You're in that present moment of dealing with this. I'm assuming you rushed to the hospital, and then like, no, we dialed.
0: I dialed. Um, I think it's the same there. Nine one one. Yes, the emergency number. I dialed the emergency number. You know, and and then the ambulance showed up, and um another crazy story happened, which was, um, so I was told after a while, okay, follow the ambulance when it leaves to the hospital. And I said, okay, my mother was in the car with me. And to this day, I have no idea what I was wearing, which is really weird. I don't even know why I care, but You're I'm probably a, still in your
1: pajamas. Maybe you were still in your pajamas. You don't even know.
0: I don't know. I have a funny feeling I probably was wearing sweatpants. I just don't know. And it's one of those weird things when you want to remember every moment. Mm. I have no idea. And, um, so we were sitting on the driveway for a very long time, waiting and waiting and waiting for the ambulance to leave. And I couldn't understand what was taking so long. So I saw somebody run back up into my house because there, there was just lots of commotion and lots of people in the house. And I said to him, what's happening? When, when is the ambulance leaving? And he said to me, and I did not know, oh, we sent two ambulances. Did we always send two? The ambulance that you're looking for is already at the hospital. This is the backup ambulance. So needless to say, I rushed and we got to the hospital. But I knew, I mean, I knew before the ambulance came that there it wasn't going to make a difference. But um, it was the crazy things you remember. You know, that's mm-hmm. so ironic. Weird. Um, how did I tell my kids? You know, there's some... Memories and stories that I'm still trying to recap. My daughter had just said goodbye to her dad, oh, 48 hours earlier. She was on, she, we took her to the airport and we have the final picture of her, both of them so excited, pointing because she was leaving to go away. And so that phone call was done later because she was the youngest very, very close to her father. And we decided that we were going to call first and let the people who were in charge, who happened to be a patient of my husband's, tell her the situation, let her organize it. And my son and this woman, this wonderful woman, who's now my friend, um, planned everything, had the airplane, you know, chose how she was going to get home, how she was going to get to the airport. It was a huge deal. And then when we were all together, myself and my other children, we then called her and told her the news. And like my other daughter, my middle one, she also thought when we told the news that I meant, My father had passed because we were all, you know, my dad was very sick and, and I was taking him monthly for, for, for treatments. And then we had to tell her, no, not my father, your father. And I couldn't get the, I remember sitting with my kids that I remember so clearly, and I could not get the words out. I could not say them. And my, I think my son It was one of my kids said it out loud. And just hearing those words out loud, there's nothing worse. And she broke down and had to fly pretty much on her own for hours and hours. Was she out of the
1: country? Was she She out of the country? She was in Israel. She was actually
0: in Israel just starting a trip. So she had just traveled for, you know, a day to get to where they needed to go from planes and buses and everything. And she was there and she had to fly home. And we all went together. My girlfriend drove us to the airport to get her because that flight home for her or for anyone, I I just, I don't even know how she did it. Honestly, I don't know how she did that. So
1: That's bringing up memories for me. Because when my sister passed away, she was in Seattle and I lived in LA. Now that's a short flight. But I also had to fly, and my parents were in Colombia, so they flew from. Colombia. But I remember in the in the airplane and going th- flying there the day after her death, and she died in a car accident. And um, thinking, I'm like, I wonder if people around me are thinking I'm crying because I've just left somebody that I, you know, like I. A it boyfriend. was so weird how I was feeling like even self conscious about how I was emotional in this in this you know airplane and not. Knowing whether people around, you know, they wouldn't know what I was crying. I, I can just imagine your the amount of time your daughter in that airplane, and you said something regarding that goodbye with her dad just forty eight hours, you know, before his passing. Um, it just brought me chills, like you. You know, I I had again another. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm interjecting with no. my stories, but those it just brought these images when my sister moved to Seattle, she had first come to, um, LA. And so I drove her to, uh, to the airport to then from her to fly to Seattle. And we were sitting in the lobby and there was this couple that this is back when you were able to be in the, and <laughs> I don't know how it's in Canada. Could you guys be like at the gate to say goodbye or no? Or is it like we're in exactly were in the same, the same? Okay. Exactly. The so same. this is back when we could, right? This is, Pre pre nine uh, pre um uh, uh, pre COVID yeah pre nine eleven, so um so this couple the guy kept coming back up and they'd hug again and say goodbye and then he'd leave and then come back and we're like sitting there we're like man they're like saying goodbye as if they're never gonna see each other again and literally did we know that was the last time we were gonna see each other so what. So what you just mentioned right now of your daughter just brought me that image of like, we really do not know people's stories when we're crossing them. And it just is just so much happens in front of our eyes that we don't know. And these interactions and human interactions that make us think like, what if they're crying because they are going to a funeral? What if they're crying as they're saying goodbye? And really that is their last goodbye. So. You know what that reminds me of? Mm -hmm. I'll share
0: a memory with you from so long ago. So, when I was 21, I lost my brother, well, my brother in law, who was 18, in a car accident. Mm -hmm. And to this day, I remember the phone call, and it was, he died because of the weather. The weather was, we were the same
1: age. So I was 21 when my sister died and she was 18. So same as your brother-in-law. Also car accident. Okay. So the yeah. weather was horrible. Horrible.
0: That's what happened. It was a rain, a horrible, horrible, horrible rainstorm. And it was, he was about an hour away, but it was the same weather where we were. So I said, we were running, we had to, we we had no money. We didn't have a parking garage. So we were running to where we kept our car in the lot and I said to my husband, we can't drive in this weather. We, we can't. you like, look what happened. We can't drive as well. So we ended up taking the subway. And on the subway, my husband was just, he lost it. He was crying. It was just all pouring out of him. And I will never forget a wonderful, kind person, a man was sitting in the subway and he saw these two young kids and the guy crying, which I guess isn't typical. And he reached out to me and he's, and I remember him saying, is there anything I can do? And I remember just going, no, nobody can do anything. I just, you know, you remember certain things. They just don't leave you.
1: Yeah. And that is so beautiful. Just the fact that it's a stranger and seeing somebody. And sometimes we just pretend like we're not seeing instead Mm -hmm. because we're so uncomfortable. And actually that goes into part of this conversation that we'll have too, because I know when you reached out, you wanted to be able to talk more about the subject of death and how we really don't talk about it enough. And I think that that's one of the things is that because we're so uncomfortable, we do not know how to react around other people that are in pain. And um, the fact that this gentleman reached out to at least even just say, what can I do? That is, that sometimes that's all you need, you know, even if he couldn't do something. That's beautiful. So you, let's uh, back again, you mentioned before you had gone to a Jewish wedding. Are you Jewish background? So would did, did you have to wait? Because I believe ceremony wise, in terms of a funeral, you have to bury soon, correct? After the passing. So how did you have to delay that based on your daughter coming from Israel? Yes, a little bit think, that things have to kind of shift a I little bit. I think we delayed.
0: It, I think a day. I think we did. I mean, she was back the next day, the next evening. That's she really was quick. back, and I—that's right because she was unpacking, and as she was unpacking, we were figuring out what she was going to wear to her father's funeral. It was surreal.
1: Yeah. Oh, those. Yeah. You had just packed for her trip to Israel. Did she end, end up going back, or did she just stay home after that? She
0: ended up, it was very, very hard for her to go back because Mm -hmm. the, the, the memory of standing, I mean, she still considers her day losing her father Mm -hmm. to be the day they stood at the airport together. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I really, really wanted her to go back because I wanted her to travel and, and, and it was such a phenomenal opportunity that Mm -hmm. she was being offered. So I think two years later, she went back. And it was, it was
1: good. Oh, good. Okay. So she was able to live that experience. Okay. So now let's go again into the funeral because what you said, this is important, the fact of being able to bring in some of the qualities of the person that's passed into the... Uh, the um feelings in the funeral itself. So the fact that you first off ha- had it be an hour later to honor that he was always not an there. hour, just
0: a few minutes. But it was purposely. Oh, it was just a few minutes. <laughs> I, a few- I wouldn't do that. There were <laughs> thousands of people. But um I definitely stopped it. I definitely did it. And I wasn't I don't know how many of them knew,
1: but we all knew. Love it. So uh-huh. what other ways did you honor his personality in his funeral? What other ways well, did you do that?
0: We are put into a separate room before the funeral starts. And my husband was a giant Coke Zero fanatic. So I made sure that I had a Coke Zero with me. Just It was just like he was with me. And interestingly... funny I don't remember if it was the night before it was it was the night before the funeral a whole bunch of people had gathered in my home including my children and you know some family friends I don't remember who but my husband was known for liking this specific pink wine Beringer's rosé I don't know and everyone knew and used to make fun of him because you know guys don't typically,
1: guys in Canada don't typically
0: like it. Yeah. I mean, it's a summer wine, but he liked it year round. And there was one in my fridge. There's always, there was always an open bottle in my fridge. So we all went around in a circle and each, you know, I poured for everybody and we kept a little bit. And that was for my daughter who wasn't with us just to honor him. I think she still may have the empty bottle.
1: Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, little things like that. It's so important, it I think. Difference. Yeah, it's so important because it, one, is honoring the person. It is also keeping you guys feeling more connected to Neil, right, in that process oh. as well. Yeah.
0: We did, I mean, I did so many things because I had lost Darren, my brother in law. Mm-hmm. I, um, I didn't realize then how much I did to honor his memory. And I used to always tell stories, always of Darren, probably the same stories, but over and over again, especially when my kids were younger, to the point where they weren't sure if they had ever met him or not, yes. because the stories were so alive and hit their brains. So after um, my husband passed, my son said to me, You have to keep Dad's memory alive like you have Uncle Darren's. Mm-hmm. So, which also meant naming everybody, you know, after him, but so I did. And, um, within a few weeks after Neil's passing, I invited, because I'd known him pretty much my entire life, I invited, it took two days, one for the men and one for the women. I don't know why. And I invited people throughout his life from youth till older, and I did that with the men and the women and asked them to please share memories, share stories, because I needed more stories, and give me a word, a one word that would describe Neil. And they each did it. I videotaped it, have not watched it yet. And I used those words to put on the bottom of his tombstone, I decided to add words that could be used to describe him and also to create dialogue and conversation. So I chose from the, you know, you don't get that many different words because, you know, but, but I chose about eight, 10 words and they're on the bottom of his tombstone for that reason.
1: And so you haven't watched the full video you said yet. And this is six and a half years. When do you, you, when do you feel that you'll, do you even know when that will be, you'll just know, you'll just know. You'll know when you're ready.
0: And I want to share it with my kids. So I'll watch it, see what's on it, because everybody was so, so emotional. And then um, I'll share it with them.
1: And it'll be great for the grandkids, because when they're older, too, to be able to hear all these people talk about their grandfather and get to know who he was, you know, his character and everything that people remember about. That's what that is beautiful. That's beautiful. What a a beautiful. Legacy that you'll ha- be able to pass down to them. I hope so. I hope Actually, so. talk quality oh, good. <laughs> I know. Talking about legacy, let me ask you because since now that I know this, having interviewed other people of of Jewish background, had he written a legacy letter or not? I don't because even he know was what a- that is. Oh, so <laughs> I had heard. You see, so I had heard about this. My friend told me. her name is Dara. She's an author. And she, her mom wrote a legacy, but her mom was passing from cancer. So her mom wrote this letter kind of leaving all these like values behind, Um, like things and stuff behind. Yeah. And um, so it's like something that you write beforehand. No. Okay. So may have been just culturally that they had, or, you know, something in their own family that they had done. I just love that idea that it's basically like a will but it's a letter that you're leaving.
0: That's beautiful. And you hand
1: leaving. it to the person, when, you know, you hand it to the family. So her dad handed it to her when her mom died. So wow. she, that's when she got it. So she didn't get to read it till after mom had died.
0: Wow. No. But also, again, it was sudden. So I've yeah. never heard of that. And as he's a-
1: young. And he was yeah. young. Yeah. yeah. And healthy. And he'll, yeah. So it's like not, a, yeah. Like I would not have a legacy right now. I'm in my 40s. I would not think of like writing something now. So true. Um, okay, so now let me ask you some of the things um, you've experienced uh, death before. And um, oh, Adi, 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 Adi. Is it O D I or A? How do you How do you say his Just name? Just like the car, Audi. Oh, Audi. Okay, That's like He's
0: named after. We tried to. Uh-huh he came into my life very shortly after neil passed and um we were trying to think of a name so we were going over a lot of different you know things that he liked and um his car was naughty Perfect. so we all felt comfortable with that and i always say thank god because the car he had before was a sob and that would have been bad <laughs>
1: Because it's kind of like a sob, kind of <laughs> like a sob story, yeah. like a sob, yeah. Honestly,
0: I love black humor. It's it's a thing.
1: <laughs> no, and uh, the fact that Audie came to you, uh, that you have had him since, I, what a blessing it is in the healing process, right? So let's talk about that. What were some of the things that you used in your grief journey then, um that helped you be able to deal this? You no none of your kids lived with you at that time. They were already my out daughter. Of home. Did. She My, did. The live one with that, you, was in Israel. that was in Israel. Okay, so those yeah. two years she lived then with you before she went back to it. So, what were some of the things you did um, to help you? And yeah. I know you had experienced grief before, but and that all, of course, plays a part in mm-hmm. how you handle grief, like just how you mentioned with Darren, how you would just talk about him and so forth. But um, what did you do in this case after Neil's death?
0: Well, first of all, um, I tend to follow the, the traditional practices, which I think really help me. And, um, the fact that they can't be followed now during COVID, I think is just adds heartbreak to the heartbreak because it gives you, it gives you suggestions and almost like a map of how to behave. So I, um, I had the Shiva, which is seven days in the home. Mm-hmm. And then, really, you're not supposed to i stayed home another for to continue so it was a full month um not it wasn't gathering place of everybody, but a lot of friends would come by and, and just be with me um my kids actually lived with me I think they all moved back in for a few weeks, and their dogs it was it was craziness actually <laughs> which was great I loved it We're, and um um and then following that for the continuation until 11 months are over, you actually go and pray. You're supposed to go twice a day. I went once a day, but whatever. And, and, and it just gives you, it's almost like yoga and meditation. It just gives you a place. I didn't pray. I just sat, but it gives you a place to go. It gives you a reason to get up in the morning and move. Mm-hmm. So that became a huge part of my life. Um, the dog was got me out of the house it got us laughing it got us into the world like there is nothing that was better for me than this furry rag dog and my I daughter i don't think we smiled until he came into our life he was and we had another dog we we i actually gave that dog away and got this one.
1: Oh, and how is that dog who, who got it was that crazy. dog he was, oh. he was, he couldn't
0: be with other dogs. And my daughter, whose brother is, her dog is this one's dog, brother said, you love our dog. Our dog gives you entertainment and joy, and you can go out and you can be with people. This dog, you got to sit in the house. He couldn't be with other dogs. He was like one of those crazy rescue dogs. So um, he was great joy. And um, I really kept. I mean, I was so busy. It, it's when it's when it's sudden loss, as you know. There's so much to do. I had to clo- finish my had to close up my husband's office, and that was nine months every day going into the office to oh, wow. close it up and, and deal with it. I had to. I mean, there was so so much to do. It, it kept me so busy. It was good for me because I need to keep busy. But actually a few months in, so we passed in May and over Christmas time, I said to my daughter, I'm giving you a gift. I'm gonna send you to Mexico to your very best friend. So you can be with her and I can be in my home. And I spent those two weeks I told everybody, Don't call, don't visit, I need to take time for me. And it was just And this is how many
1: how long after? I'll June, to July,
0: August, November. Oh, over half a year later. I had been so busy and so overwhelmed. I needed, and I was still taking care of my dad. So I needed just to quiet and focus. And it was, it's really important that you do that.
1: I think that what you're pointing out is so important, Susan, because a lot of times people don't realize really the busyness that there is around, right death and all the business part of it like you said you had to clear his office you had to do this you still that you really don't get the full sitting in with your grief type of mm-hmm. feeling i mean you had the blessing of having the rituals and traditions that you have in your jewish faith to kind of have that a little bit but at the same time you were with a lot of people in your home following you had not really been with your there yourself were so many people in it your grief beautiful
0: out. we were outside There were so many people at my house that actually my porch in the back of my house broke
1: on the way. Yeah. So definitely that's so important because you knew you needed that and to actually tell the people around you, like you said, you bought your daughter then a ticket to go to Mexico with a friend, like you knew you needed that and you created that space for yourself. And that's important, I think, for the listeners to know. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. thank you for sharing all those tools. And of course, Audi. Uh, my EV is after my mom passed away. That's when I got EV. So Evie came to our life by ax- – uh, uh, the pickup day on her for her from her reader was on my mom's birthday. Mm. We didn't select that date. Mm. It was the first birthday without my mom. It was two months after her passing, and that was her pick. So our gotcha day for her is my mom's birthday. It's- and don't you so- find
0: <laughs> – I find with him and also my brother – I lost my brother, and he had a cat, and my sister-in-law and I always discuss the fact – My dog just looks up for no reason into the sky often. And her cat, who used to sleep on the bed with her and my brother, started sleeping in her son's room and also just looking up. And she phoned me, and she said, "What do you think that means?" I said, "I think it means my brother's in the room." And she said, "Oh, I'm so glad you think that, because I thought I was insane."
1: <laughs> so she she felt she felt like that sense of like, okay, okay, I'm not crazy. Somebody else that understands me. I know, like those those little things that happen. Um, You know, we find connection to things, and I think all that matters is what it means to you, right? And if it it brings you comfort in those connections, like it it brings me comfort in the connection that that was her, you know, the fact that you had him and you named him after, you know, the car that he liked, you know, things like that is just wonderful. Now, you mentioned then your your okay, so let's go over some of these other deaths that happened, and then let's talk about what you're doing then now. So your dad had been going through chemo uh, for how long? Prior to your husband died,
0: um, well, he had a heart disease, and then he got cancer. I, I know I was so so busy dealing with my dad that whenever my husband talked about our wedding anniversary was coming up, and he was so excited because we were going away, and I would be like, "Just leave me alone. I need to deal with my dad. Mm. You deal with the vacation. I'll see you then." <laughs> that didn't happen, but um. I guess it was a couple of years, but it was not. It was, you know, it gets worse okay. and worse. It was so, time
1: consuming. As you said, you were taking him to his appointments and so forth. Mm-hmm. So he he did pass away then from cancer?
0: He Well, no? actually from heart disease, but but oh. it was from the weight of the cancer just eating uh, away at his body. his body. But that yeah. wasn't until, um, I don't know, maybe two years later okay. that he passed so then- away.
1: So then what are the other experiences you've had then in your life and since? And how do you feel that all these emotions have shaped who you are now?
0: Well, after my father passed away, um, about six months later, my brother unexpectedly, completely unexpectedly, also passed away. And um, I mean, the nightmare of that one was having to phone my daughter and waking her up and telling her to go knock on her grandmother's door. Cause we were living with my mom for a little while and tell her, um, I said, you don't have to tell her I'll tell her, but you got to wake her up and she'll know, you know, you just know. And my mm-hmm. mother just knew when she was awoken in the middle of the night, you know, that, that something horrific was being told. And then, um, Uh, so many stories with that one. But then, um, during the, my brother, my younger brother, also I'm the youngest, but my next brother, there were, there's four of us. He, um, hadn't been doing very well at all. He was forgetting things and he was, his speech pattern was getting really bad. And finally, actually, while my father was in the hospital, uh, my brother went in For just to get a heart test. Um, There's issues. And um, while he was there, I asked the the cardiologist if he would do some testing of my brother's memory, because I said, there's something wrong. The cardiologist agreed, and he did the testing. And he said, oh, yeah, there's definitely something wrong. His score is horrible. And that put us on a journey. While my father was upstairs, and my brother was in a merge, that put us on a journey that ended up with my brother passing away a year, will be two years in September, so a year and a half ago, of early onset Alzheimer's. So different relationships, different kinds of diseases, certainly. I mean, I've had, you know, car accident, long illness, massive heart attack, and um, my brother. Alzheimer's.
1: Yeah, and Alzheimer's, which is a, you're also losing the person, the moment of the diagnosis too, right? Because then you're also it, losing that connection that you have sometimes with the conversations that you could have. And,
0: it went mm-hmm. because it's early onset. I could write a book about it because what I know now, but early onset, it just goes, shoo. I mean, from from when, you know, there's a lot of talk now we're trying to figure out between us when it really started because, you know, you just think people are getting forgetful. Now, you don't really never think that a person in their 50s is has Alzheimer's. But from the time he was diagnosed to death was probably about three years, the three busiest years of my life, because I had to take over all his financing, including all the ones from years past that he gave me a giant box of one day and said, I haven't opened any of my mail. Here you go, take it. And it was oh, wow. heartbreaking. And he has children. And, and, and there's those long, excruciating deaths, the worst.
1: It, it's interesting, right? Because when you've experienced different kinds of deaths, like the sudden ones, because we're not prepared, you're not the anticipation is not there. You just kind of deal with it the moment it happens is when it begins. And you go into but- a fog. So you're kind of protected a little bit true. And then, but then the, the long-term ones, it's as you're like, you're one, you're like holding your breath. It's, I, I felt like as I was holding my breath underwater, every time, like the phone ring, I would never know, like, what if this is the call? Like, you know, like those kind of things, right? Do you agree?
0: And there's, I think, oh, I lived with a suitcase because we were constantly going into hospitals because he was aggressive. It was, and I think, part of you is also feeling guilty because you're like thinking am I guilty to think that maybe I need a life and maybe he needs to go somewhere where he'll he'll not be you know his body won't be eating him up alive and there's a lot of guilt for, for feeling that
1: feeling that way yeah they say that sometimes like those kind of illnesses is like the they're like the worst because you're feeling you're want you're actually desiring the death of a loved one because you're seeing the excruciating pain they're going through. like this happens with cancer or with many other diseases in which you're like it's horrible because it puts you in this situation like you said, that guilt of like I just wish that they could just be okay and maybe being okay just means not even being alive anymore. And that is very, really, really hard, you know, to be living with that idea of like, Wishing somebody's death, but it's really because you're wishing their pain to not be there anymore. You exactly. love them so much,
0: and it has a lot to do, I think, with what you believe in the thereafter. You know, my Correct. my husband used to always say he was agnostic, and he used to say to me, you know, any belief in God, it's just a crutch. I said, well, if it's a crutch, lucky me, because I do believe this isn't the end. You you have to. I mean, after all I've gone through, there's no way this is what it's all about.
1: I, I agree. I think it makes a huge difference in how you perceive then death, which again, this is something we wanted then to con- talk a little bit more about that, of having those open conversations. It really does make a difference on how you perceive it and how you talk then to your children, to your family in general about death, not just when it happens. Like if, if we already talk about it, knowing that it's something that's going to happen to us, right? We all know that. Death <laughs> <Yes>, is <taxes. laughs> <It's- laughs> death and taxes. Is that the title of this podcast? Death and taxes. The only the only two things that are guaranteed in life.
0: Guaranteed. Death and taxes. That's
1: it. Oh my gosh. So, yeah, you have a good sense of humor. You like you do you deal with humor? Is humor one of the ways you cope with hard things too? Because it is for me a lot, you know, adding, you know, sometimes breaking things up with humor.
0: I think so you have to. I mean you just can't be sad all the time and and I think humor also allows other people to be more comfortable.
1: Mm, that's a good that's a good way of saying it. Yeah, it kind of breaks the ice a little bit. So, okay, so then what have you learned then about yourself in these years of growth and trials? What is one thing you or one or a few things you've learned about who you are that you did not know about you? prior to experiencing this hardship, these hardships? Well,
0: I think because we really were two parts of a whole, because I was so young, there were parts of me that um, I didn't know, or I didn't hear, or I didn't care enough to listen to. Simple things, you know, like um, what restaurants I like, you know, if my husband liked this restaurant and I liked that one, I was like, okay, whatever. I don't care that much but now all of a sudden it was all me i got to choose where i wanted to go when i wanted to eat how i wanted to decorate my home like all of a sudden it was my time and i had never experienced that not not i'm not saying that i didn't get my way i'm just saying you know it was a conversation there was a discussion there was give and take and i had to find myself in so many ways in in how i dealt with my children you know my husband had much greater patience than i did and i had to sort of summon i'd go okay i got to get your patience now because i couldn't depend on him and um i had to become me a whole so it's a huge learning experience aside from learning you know he i took care of the home and he took care of the finances and learning all of that which is a lot I had to learn more intrinsic things about me. And also I had to learn, whereas he would sort of say, you know, um, he would sort of, you know, talk to me at the end of the night and and you'd complain and they would, and he would say, well, this is how I feel about this and that. There was no one to do that. So I Mm -hmm. had to learn a lot about who I am and who I want to be. And I really, Truly believe I've changed a tremendous amount better, so much better than I was because I had to be. I couldn't hide behind anyone anymore.
1: Mm. That is so beautiful. Everything you just shared and the aspect of that growth and the discovering really who are you? Like, who were you in that? Right? Because it's like when you have grown alongside somebody else, then you wonder do I really like steak? Or is it just because I've had to eat steak because that's what my husband like, you know? Because that's just kind of how it's been like, and so that individuality had been lost to some extent in that marriage. Yes,
0: a hundred percent. And and believe me, I miss that banter. I miss I miss his com- his opinions very very much. But I'm very proud of what. I do now on my own. I mean, I curse him when, you know, I had to climb at three o'clock in the morning. It's on my video, actually. I have it on my Instagram, I think. It was three o'clock in the morning, and the the alarm was beeping, and I had to go get a a ladder and climb up and and change it. I was cursing, cursing him.
1: Why did you go, Neil? Look at me at 3 a.m. going up here.
0: Thanks. Thanks, buddy. (laughs) But I'm also... Proud of what I've been able to accomplish, not only things like that, but even um, with relationships, it's given me strength to know better who I am, who I want in my life, who I don't. You know, COVID is is um, has um, enforced that even more. You know, those people who are there for you, and 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 those that just forgot that we exist when you're home alone. You know, I, I I just keep adding, I never thought in my fifties that I would be learning so much. I I'm amazed. And my niece who I'm very close with always says to me, it's also because you're open and you want to learn. It's true, but I also was forced to learn, you know, it's a combination.
1: You were put in a sort of situation in which you just, you had no other choice. Right. Um, you had no other choice, yeah.
0: And even Either my, or. um I mean, I'd never seen a dead body in my life. Well, now I've seen three, and three of the rocks of my life, the people that I love, I'll never love people like that again. And I talk so differently about death than I did. And I, and I took a coaching program so I could learn to talk to help other people. There's so many wonderful coaches out there. I I don't need to be another one. That's not where I see my, my value in life. But I did see that I became a quote-unquote expert. And I wanted to make sure that what I'm saying and how I'm saying it are... Um, are okay. And it was a huge lesson there also for me, just mm-hmm. to learn.
1: I like how you said the quote unquote expert, because it's true. Like we're only, you ex- know, we can't really truly be an expert on the subject because everybody experiences grief and uh, in their own way because it's based <laughs> on their own journeys and whatever they've had. But I, I do like what you, you now know the terminology or things that are okay. So Share a little bit more about that then. Share about the things that you are now doing because you would otherwise not be doing this had you not gone through this. So share with our That's listeners sure. and then we'll wrap it up. Um, so
0: I I was um, very comforted by some widows at the beginning. And um, I think it's really important. And, and I now basically have an open door that if someone's grieving, I'm available. And, you know, it's gone beyond widows just because my relationships with death, I have been, you know, daughter, sister, friend, whatever. Um, And that's what put me into coaching. And then um, I'd been thinking and thinking and thinking for years now that I wanted to start some kind of site for widows, because that's who I know, um, moving forward. So, okay, you've been grieving, you are grieving, you're always gonna grieve, but what else is there about you? You know, when you describe yourself in three words, is widow always one of them? And should it be and is it and why? You know, I'm always curious about that. So I started um evolve during the lockdown. But then, interestingly, the more I got involved in Evolve and the social media world and the books and everything else the more I realized there is a lot, a ton of information out there and websites and and um, Facebook sites and, you know, Instagram sites, there's just tons of them available. And I went on many, many, many of them just to understand and to hear what people were talking about and what, what I could provide, if I if there was anything I could offer, because um, my background is writing. And I thought, that could be a way I do blogging for for some groups and things like that. And what I came to realize was people keep going online and saying, we're, we have no one else to talk to either because we don't want to upset, you know, my mother, my mother in law by reminding them as if they forgot or, or, um, it's, we've been told this. I hear all the time. We've been told by our friends, our family, our colleagues, it's time to get over it. Mm
1: -hmm. And that
0: time seems to be anywhere from six months to 18 months. Within there, you're magically supposed to be cured. Yeah. Yeah, Like Like
1: a flip of a switch.
0: And so they are writing to strangers and pouring out their sadness and their pain and their memories because they don't feel as vulnerable and they have a need, a great need. I mean, one of the huge problems of being of mourning as you go into extreme states of loneliness, even in a, I mean, my most lonely place really is at a wedding when there's many, many people because
1: people I'm all
0: alone. And, um, so I start, I, been thinking a lot about it, and I've been doing some writing, and 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 what I think would really and truly make a difference, and boy, do I need help doing it. But is if we can change. There's so many taboos that, thankfully, we've changed in the world. We've changed, you know, thankfully, sexual preference, especially in Canada, but thankfully now happening in the U.S. Mm-hmm. is not such a big deal. You know, we've had gay marriage here. I I don't you know, for a decade, I I probably at least if not more, um, mental health was a huge issue, a huge taboo. And that's slowly crumbling away because people are opening up and they're talking and famous people are talking. So it's becoming a norm and it's okay. And you can talk about it and you can be, and it's okay. So I think that death which is really, as we said, one of the only things we all are going to share. We're we're not all thankfully going to have cancer or mental health issues or whatever, but the average is you'll experience five or six deaths of someone you love in your lifetime. Hmm. So I thought, well, we need to shatter this taboo. It needs to be spoken. So all these people who are, it's for both. It's for the people who are grieving. They need to be comfortable speaking and sharing and not being told, you know, you need to see a therapist because you just had a memory that you wanted to share. And it's also for the people who are are wanting to comfort someone who's grieving and they don't know how. So they say nothing and they run away or they say the wrong thing, not intentionally trying to be cruel, but boy do people say the wrong thing. And even people who have experienced death seem to oh. be afraid to talk to somebody else. It's really fascinating. Yeah, we
1: can, And we can still put our... I still put my foot in my mouth, even though I've experienced it. I can still end up saying the wrong thing because maybe it was just not the right thing I could have said to that particular person because it came from maybe my perspective. So you never really know... Sometimes, even what to say that is correct, but yes, I love this, so how are you then doing this of shattering this? What is then this one is this here we're talking about it here. Mm-hmm. Is it starting to show up? then do you talk about more about death than in your instagram share share to the listeners where they can read more because you're a blogger well, too so
0: I blog for hope for women and I, and I put the blogs on my website, which is called evolve beyond grief. And, um, I, you know, I've been in some newspapers and, um, being on some media, but often when I, now, when I go onto these sites and I see people say, you know, I'm so sad or I would love to speak out or I can't for whatever reason I now say to them, Why? Why can't you speak out? Why? What can we do? We need to talk. We need to make a difference. We need to speak out. We need to. We need Brene Brown to come and say, (laughs) "Okay, everybody in the world, you know, let's change this." And then we have.
1: Yeah. Like, just like how she did with vulnerability, right? Yes.
0: (laughs) Yes, Please, Brene. And, um, but it needs, um, we need to be talking to people who aren't grieving and it needs to be spoken in a way that they don't freak out and shut down. So I think it really needs to start with children at school. It should be in the educational system. There should be a day every year or a week, where death is the subject, just like we have beautiful... uh, uh, Do you have Black History Month there? Yes. Okay, so we have Black History Month, and we have Mental Health Week. We have all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And I've looked into this. There isn't... There is in the UK, they're way ahead of us. They even have a minister who who is in charge of, like, social isolation or something. But we don't really have a day that that funnels down into educating... Uh. Our children. My kids have always known about death. They were brought into a family where we're suffering from the loss, and it's very open. We go every year together to the cemetery, we talk. And those memories and those stories would stop people from being so afraid. And it also may make you live a fuller life if death is a reality instead of some hidden secret, you know, brushed under the rug.
1: I cannot agree any more than what you just said. Yeah, (laughs) I agree so much because that is just so true. Like even with my kids, I talk about, they'll probably get tired about it. Cause just like you mentioned about talking about their uncle, Darren, the same thing my kids know Tia Soris, I, I speak Spanish, and so Tia is aunt. So Tia Soris, you know, na na, na Tia Soris, na, and I share memories. There's pictures of her. They've grown up knowing about death. And then also I had a miscarriage. My first pregnancy was a miscarriage. And so when they were a little bit older, um, I also shared with them that mom had Beautiful. been pregnant uh, my first pregnancy and that they actually had a baby sibling, you know, as angel. Um, and the stuffed animal that my son sleeps with, that's how it happened was because that stuffed animal, my husband brought home to me when, um, because we were expecting, he brought some flowers and he brought this big stuffed cow. And, uh, this is before the miscarriage and that was going to be for the baby. And so when the baby died, then we still had this stuffed cow. And so when I got pregnant with our son, I used that cow. I slept with it between, you know, how, because it was big. I yeah. used it to, to sleep, put it between my knees, like my, my pillow. like, as, yeah, yeah. And then later on, when he was baby, that was his cow. So he's still, he's 13. He's 13 and he still sleeps with the cow. Uh, I just have to whisper that in case he gets up. But he, so that's when I had to share. Is that yours? That's your, yeah. Okay. So we're on video. Good so now. she just share. <laughs> you're, you're that's you've had that ba- that bear for how long?
0: This this bear I've had for years because my daughter gave it to me because I have a bear that my husband bought me when I was 15 that I sleep with every single night and he travels everywhere I go in the world.
1: When yes, when they young. bring so much comfort and so it was because of that cow that I shared then with the kids. You know that that cow actually was and that's how I shared. So. Yeah. I And that's, again, it's, again, normalizing the conversation because if we don't talk about it... Oh, this is something else. What I don't know if you heard the episode I did with Rabbi Steve Letter, an author of a book. I've
0: heard a lot of them.
1: Okay. So th- you can listen to... This one's called... Um, Oh, now I forgot what the name of the of the interview was, but re, is that a Rabbi Steve uh, Leader? Sorry, um, and he was talking about that one of the biggest things we do as parents that is a mistake is when we uh, basically make like bring a new goldfish home when the new one dies and just replace it in the gold. You know, for example. Things I like never, that right never do miss that. those opportunities of being able to talk to our kids about death and not just about death it goes back to even just the fact of um talking about when things just have not gone their way like of just losing you know like a, losing yeah when they've lost a friend. friendship it's part of life yes all these experiences of oh. grief of loss and how they're part of life we're always trying to fix it there's nothing to fix it's a life. Right. It's not fixable. It is just something we live with and we learn to live with these pieces that are missing in our life. And it's okay. It's still beautiful.
0: Right. There's growth. There's, it's, it's meant to be. I mean, it's part of our lives. It's meant to be, but you know, if if you you live in an island and you've never seen a tree and then all of a sudden you see one, you're like scared. But if it's something that's just part of your vernacular, then it's, oh, there's a tree. Okay. You know, it. it I think it's so important and I want so badly to get this day and shatter this taboo and get going with people being able to be vulnerable because... You know, just from a point of view, and I know people don't want to talk about it, but it's so important financial to the government, the amount of money that it costs for um, the government. Well, for us, it's for the government because we're, we're we're on healthcare, mm-hmm. but whatever. Um, when someone dies, the and and the loved one stays and isn't you know stays behind. Um, they very often can go into extreme sadness and sorrow and isolation because they don't have an outlet to discuss it and they're embarrassed and they that leads to so many issues they die earlier they have heart disease they have they've linked now alzheimer's to it i mean Mm -hmm. it goes on and on and on so if if we can stop this you know we can keep our hospitals open free
1: for other things it's just it doesn't make sense to me well well, it has a ripple effect in other areas too, because then if you don't have, like for example, when somebody dies in your family, if you don't feel comfortable, if people let's say in your office, like you even saying that people are you know, opening face Instagram accounts just to be able to talk about their loved one because they have nobody around them that understands or the people around them are tired of hearing about their loved ones. So they're sharing it on Instagram, for example. Or they
0: think Let- that they're being helpful by saying, okay, it's time for you to stop. They actually believe that that is the right thing to tell their, you know, I've looked up, um, mental health and grieving and in Canada, it even says in our famous, um, Canadian, whatever Institute for mental health. It says, you know, if a person is grieving after a year, you got to start wondering if maybe it's a more serious kind of grieving and they need mental health support. No,
1: they need to be able to talk. Exactly. Well, put me in a hospital because it's been (laughs) twenty-four years since my sister died. So put me in a harness then. So what that's the thing. So then if we don't normalize it, then that also affects then the work environment, right? If somebody doesn't even can't even go to work and be able to be open with their coworkers or they they have to like let's say take a longer leave of absence even from work because of how they're going through their grief and they yeah. maybe like you said they feel so isolated and alone even in their own environment when they're with people just because they can't talk about it because yeah. it's such taboo so um, yeah, it just affects so many areas in our society. And until we just start kind of ripping the bandit, and I'm sure it's not like this in all societies. I'm sure there's other societies and indigenous societies or things like that in which it is so much part of life that it, they it's celebrated. You know, this is, again, we're talking about our, our particular so if anybody listening to this has a completely different experience of how death is talked about in your cultures, please reach out. We'd love oh, to yeah. hear those stories, right? Yeah, I'm
0: searching all the time, and and I'll get people who'll say, "Oh, it hasn't been
1: like that for me." Yeah, well, you know,
0: come back to me after a year and tell me how it isn't like that for you. Right. And then if you experience multiple deaths like I have, um, you know, I feel like I've used up the the quota of reaching out I really do honestly it's 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 and I think they also are afraid of me because I'm like this black widow
1: oh my (laughs) goodness the fact that you've reached your quota that is just you're like wait it's already like who can I call that I haven't called already for when this person died this person died who can I talk to that I have not already oh wow Susan like that's like So unreal, right? Yeah, that is unreal that we have to think that way. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. So share your website again. So it's uh, Mm -hmm. evolvebeyondgrief.com. Evolvebeyondgrief.com, correct? And I'll Mm -hmm. put it in the show notes. Any other things you want to say before we close out?
0: You know what I would really love and I think I can use is if people would share their stories of when they have been told, not using their names. I'm not, you know, just a quote, you know, I was told by my colleague or by my sister or whatever to get on with it because I want to gather those and, and start some kind of petition to start this day that I'm dreaming about.
1: Perfect. And the way to do that would be on your website. It would be the contact page where they can email you. Sure, or yours. Or, or mine, and I pass them down to you. Perfect. Either one, send them to us. Let us know what were some of the things you've ever been told about grief, like move on, get over it, those kind of things. And in what environments were you told these things? Was it at work? Was it at school? Was it at this? And we can start gathering some of this information and seeing what can be done. Yes? It's going to take a village. Awesome. Uh, well, thank you once again.